Action Park Media. Welcome back to Entertain Her. I'm Sarah Sanderson. I'm Zulai Hanau. Hey guys, Erin Cosparelli here. <laughs> Erica is not with us today, but she will be back with us next week. We miss you, Erica. But we're actually going to just throw things for you uh, for a loop right now. We are not doing a wind down today because we have a very special guest on our episode. Cannot wait for you guys to hear all of the words of wisdom he had to share with us. And we just want to get right into the interview. All right, ladies. I am so excited about this guest that we have on. He is a showrunner. He is an Emmy award-winning writer and producer. You may know some of his work, Boy Meets World, Girl Meets World, Spy School, Apple TV's Ghost Writer. And the best part of his resume is he is my friend, Mr. <laughs> Mark Blutman. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on with us. You know, I'm a big fan of yours. And we were just really excited to be able to get you on and someone with an inside perspective in the world of entertainment. That's what this show is kind of all about. It's called Entertain Her. And the other thing that you're very awesome about is you're really supportive with women initiatives that should not be unsaid. So thank you for joining the show. I can't wait to pick your brain today. Well, th thanks for having me. And the intro is amazing. And I loved uh, the friend part because all the shows I do, no matter how good they are, they can always get canceled. But if the friendship is going well, you can't cancel it. That's right. Mm -hmm. And you know, big thing in this industry is relationships, right? And uh, and we Everything. hit it off as soon as we met. There were so many things in common. You know, you're a big sports fan, but you also have deep emotional intelligence. And, you know, that's why I love working with you is because we can talk about sports and we can talk about life and uh, we're working on a project together that has a lot of that together, you know, that vibe. Um, and we wanted to get you on because you've been very vocal about something that's happening in the industry. I know the women that are on the show, we've all talked about it. We're all curious about it. We're kind of wondering what the future holds. Um, can you shed some light on what is going on in your world? Because you are a producer, you're always creating shows and content. What is the landscape and the future of the entertainment industry right now? It's it's messed up. I mean, honestly, you know, I've been a WGA member going on 33 years. So I've seen change and I'm always all about change. I mean, technology creeps into our world in all aspects of our world, and that's cool. What I've started to see in our business, uh, which is one of the reasons why our uh, our MBA, which is our minimum basic agreement that we, the Writers Guild, negotiate with the producers, it expires May 1st, and we need a new contract, a new deal. And the negotiation to this point has been difficult. Uh, we're hoping it changes in the last you know, 10 days, but we are prepared to walk out. But to answer your question, what I've really seen, which scares me, is forever there was an appreciation, a respect, an incredible value placed on what we as writers do. Story was king. Content was king. And I remember, in fact, I tweeted this the other day, uh, Disney announced they were laying off 7,000 people. Hmm. 7,000 people. It was in the trades yesterday. 
the irony of the press release and deadline, it's so, our business is horrible. The headline, you know, bloodbath at Disney, you know, 7,000 people laid off. And there's a picture of Mickey Mouse with his arms out. Their logo is right there, smiling mouse right next to, and I just went, guys, have a little awareness and yeah. compassion. And maybe our logo with a happy mouse should not be next to bloodbath a 7,000 are laid off. But but that speaks to what I started to see. I, you know, I think in 2017 was the first mega merger, Disney and Fox joined. And I said to somebody, and I was on record at the time, I said, if this is the future of our industry, mergers, business, people coming in, tearing down the foundation of what's been there, we're in trouble. Because along the way, the first victim of corporate greed will be the creators, the writers, the storytellers. And so from 2017 on, there was a continuum of mergers, acquisitions, new technology creeping into our business. And we were getting squeezed out. The creators were getting squeezed out. Um, Mark, can I later... ask you to pause yeah, of course. for a second and explain? I mean, okay, I have so much that I want to dive into you, but for the listeners that are not privy to the entertainment world, we are talking about a writer strike that hasn't, from what I'm hearing you say, hasn't even officially started yet. The, in, the entire industry has come to a halt. That's part one of what you're saying. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, almost, uh, you know, buying and hearing pitches right now is almost at a standstill in anticipation of potential strike May 1st. And and, and I potential have strike, potential strike. And how long have you guys been in negotiation? I'd say in earnest, uh, maybe three, four weeks. And roughly. so, so more questions on that to come. And the part two is what I'm hearing you say underneath the lines that I know Aaron and Aaron has kind of been discussing on our group chat in regards to, is this what you're talking about, Aaron? AI and writers and how technology is creeping into the space. And how are you as a writer now with chat GPT and all these things, all these new things that are at, that are being developed right now as we speak, How how is this? Um, a threat like how are you guys managing this as writers as as how is the guild thinking about this and is that a part of the negotiation that's happening right now really really quickly can we just describe what the writer strike is about in a in a simple nice way so for listening who may have heard of a writer strike they don't know what that actually like what are you guys striking so the global aspect of the strike action would be the sustainability of a career for a young writer, a writer who's on the ascension in their career has been threatened, is non-existent. I'm not a martyr and our leadership, others who have done it like I have for 20, 30 years, we're not just saying, hey, this is not about us. It's about the next generation. It's about everybody, but 
the next generation, if we stay on the trajectory we're on now, has no chance, no chance to accumulate a pension, no chance in LA where the cost of living is sky high, no chance to buy a house, no chance to raise a family, no chance to make writing their sole job. There are so many writers now who take a gig, then the gig lasts 10. So that's one of the things to answer you specifically. There's a, on the table is this thing called mini rooms. The streamers started going, hey, here's a, here's a way to save money. Before production, we'll have the showrunner or the creator hire six writers. They'll write the scripts. And then when production begins, we'll terminate most of the lower to mid-level writers. So they're out of work. Production starts. The senior writer, producer, or showrunner will cover the set. So the next generation is not getting a chance to learn how to run a show, not sitting in on casting, not going to editing, not going to post-production, uh, you know, things like sweetening and learning how to lay music. They're not learning any of the skills necessary to ascend in our business. So that's one of the things that's on the table. It's like, not only are you guys cutting corners to save a dollar, you're but you're, you're crippling the very lifeblood, the creative achievers, the creative entities who fuel your machines, you're cutting them off. So the big thing to answer your thing, it's, it's sustainability in our career. Yes, we have problems with residuals, the streamers. Netflix last year was taken to arbitration by our guild. The settlement was $45 million. Oh my God. Netflix had to fork over 40 million. I believe the project was Bird Box, the Sandra Bullock thing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I may be misspeaking on the title, but I think it was that. Um, that's going on right now behind closed doors. It's not even talked about. Our guild, it's one of the best unions around. Their lawyers are in arbitration with almost all the streamers for residuals. They're, there's no transparency. They're not forthcoming with, you know, and, and, and keep in mind, like back when it was just broadcast television, the residual system was easy and everything was fueled by advertising dollars. So we're now in an environment where there's no advertising dollars, the streamers, it's all based on subs, right? Hmm. So as an example, Disney Plus, 275 million subs a month at 1099, $10.99 times 275 million a month. That's a few billion, I'm sure. I'm not a numbers person. And they don't wanna share it with us properly. Mark, but is the, is it an issue of not having the technology in place to track what you're owed, or what, or is it an an issue of it just not being on black on paper on black and white? Like, what is why wasn't it in black and white? What is the technology that's missing? Like, what? How do you fix? Can we go back though? You're talking about as, as simple as an actor or a director or producer on traditional linear TV. You get a residual every time your show plays. So you're saying for streamers, 
That's not happening. No, it's not happening to the extent okay. that we should be receiving money. In the beginning, we were not even aware. Um, here, here's a simple way to look at it. So with network television, it would run every few months, let's say, or a show like Boy Meets World or Girl Meets World or other shows I did were on always. And there was a formula in, in, in place with streaming. We, we didn't know back then when we were making our, our, our deal of what the future would look like. So, you know, we're now in a, in a place where our shows are running 24 seven in perpetuity. So what we're getting in residuals is really does not equate to the amount of viewings and certainly does not equate to the amount of subscribers that they have. And to go I, back, I feel like the actors have the same issue, exact same issue with the streamers and um, being able to make a living and living in Los Angeles and all of it. So I'm, I hopefully the Writers Guild will sort of pave yeah. the way for SAG later. And I believe the SAG-AFTRA contract expires June 30th. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball. Usually we support each other. Um, so, you know, we'll see what ends up happening, but it's, it, it, and for me, who I'm a very creative, passionate, you know, writer, I love to create content. There's been such a shift with, you know, these, a lot of these new streamers and these, you know, the lords running their businesses, guys like Zaslav and stuff, they really, no matter what they say, they don't care about story the way the, you know, generations past cared about it. Everything is a reboot. Everything is a, a franchise. Everything is a piece of IP. Everything is a piece of business. The days of now, there'll always be amazing shows creep in. There'll always be a Hacks and a Ted Lasso. And, you know, there's so many amazing shows created by amazing people, people like Bill Lawrence and, 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 you know, there's, there's Yvette Lee Bowser and there's always, there will always be good content, but it's harder now for the mid-level writer to really forge his way and have his voice heard. You know, and, and and lastly to it, you know, again, I'm able to speak from experience, you know, as recent as 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I knew the faces of everybody running all the studios and networks. We would go for dinners or drinks or events, hang out, whatever. We got to know each other. I don't know the faces of any of these people. They are literally up in an ivory tower. And maybe, you know, they'll have a five minute meeting with, you know, somebody who's sitting on top of the mountain, like, a you know, Shonda Rhimes or whatever. But for the most part, they're not accessible. And so once you have that, you know, divide between creator and buyer or yeah you know, provider, you're not going to be heard and your stories are going to matter less and less and less. And, and we just want to take back control. We want to take back respect and value. We want to be valued as artists. And this is a really great example of what you said earlier, 
that you guys couldn't even foreshadow this being a problem when the streamers came out because you were unaware of how technology was going to be. I mean, this is exactly like AI. We talk about AI and how we don't even know how to put a regulation on a technology that like we aren't even able to understand at this point. Right. And, and the right, our, our guild is addressing that in these negotiations about uh, a, a non-person cannot have a credit on a piece of content. I mean, they're talking about all that. I don't know the verbiage, but yeah. it's being addressed. Of course, it has to be. Yeah. And, and my answer is always this. AI will have zero ability, I believe, to make an audience feel, to make an audience cry, to get into depth. They'll just spit out by rote, you know? And and I don't see anybody sitting at home watching something created by AI and feeling. feeling. And, and exactly. And wait a minute, what does AI stand for? artificial intelligence what does artificial mean it's not real so i would go out and change the name <laughs> artificial intelligence doesn't help so mark as it stands now we are kind of at the precipice of this thing you said may 1st is the deadline correct yeah uh, uh april uh, 31st uh, april. At, at midnight pretty okay. much so yeah may 1st yeah and as an actor, I'm feeling I'm feeling severe um, challenges now. Like I haven't had an audition in two weeks. Um, why are we? Why is it that we're feeling these repercussions so early in the game? And what happens on April at midnight on that night? Like, what happens May first if there's well, pencils it, down? Pe pencils down is the expression. Uh, if that's what our guild uh you know says you know we're hopeful we're hopeful that there has been progress since our strike authorization vote which by the way was our highest turnout for a vote like this ever and the response was the highest ever 97.85 97.85% of those who voted voted yes we authorize our leadership to call for a strike because this is serious because again I'm so in blessed, you know, I'm 62 and a half, almost 63, 65. I haven't, I've, I've done 300 episodes of TV, tons of movies and pilots. I will have a nice retirement. The next generation will not, some will, you know, every now and then somebody's going to hit the lottery, but there's very few shows that are in the business of 26 episodes a season mm -hmm. running for seven years. The financial model for the streamers generally is three years, you know, generally because they don't want to incur the bumps, you know, the big salary bumps to both the, uh, you know, writing, producing teams and the actors. So it's like Disney. Disney, you know, we did Girl Meets World on Disney. We were their top show. We ran three years. Then they said no mas because they didn't want to pay the bumps. So this strike isn't just about wages. The strike has much more to do with just overall structure and um, legacy, legacy of of future writers. And I'm I'm so um, I'm really moved here. And you speak about this because very rarely do you see or do you hear of people um, like yourself who will have a nice retirement 
without a doubt, you, you, you will reap the benefits of your long, hard work. Um, but very rarely do you see people in your position reach back and want to change the, 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 the status quo, quo for, for younger generations. And that's really admirable. And um, I really applaud you. I know this will inevitably affect my work and, and um, my legacy. So I'm thanking you here right now for the work that you're doing, because it will affect me. And I, I'm really hopeful. Um, and I share that sentiment with you. I'm hopeful that at the end of the day, that humanity wins and that we will create systemic change for writers and actors and just the industry at whole. Because I do feel, I do feel the changes. I feel um, um, e even when you read stuff, even when you read stuff now as an actor, sometimes there's great stuff like The Last of Us and you're like sitting there waiting for this thing to come back on television. But then there's all in between. And it's like, where, I don't, I'm not feeling anything. What are we talking about? But the in-between, to your point, the in-between is not the in-between. The in-between is enveloping the freaking industry. Right. And, and, and it's like I get DMs from parents all the time going, I, I want a show like Girl Meets World for my kids or Boy Meets World like I grew up on. We don't have, they canceled, HBO Max canceled the Gordita Chronicles, which was a wonderful show. Phenomenal. I was so happy with the Gordita yeah. Chronicles. Got one season. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Amazing. You know, and, 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 you know, we're talking about an industry, a world um, where there's always been systemic bias against races, uh, genders, Gender. all of it. So, Speaking of Why? what Karen introduced you with all introduced you and said, you know, you are a champion for female led initiatives. Can you talk a little bit about that and the work that you do in that space? I know that you're working with Aaron on something and I'm not supposed to, I don't know if that was even supposed to come up here, but um, what are you, what are you, how are you working um, with women specifically? Well, you know, to, to, to answer your question. So at this stage of my career, um, I've really focused on content that matters to me personally, which includes uh, mental health issues. My mother's a mental health sufferer, 60 years of her life. She's 80 something. As a kid, we didn't know, we didn't talk about it. I was just like, geez, mom's tired a lot, huh? You know, she's always in bed, you know, tired a lot, right? And then years later, you find, oh, she's manic, she's depressed, anxiety, she's been on drugs, blah, 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 blah. So that part has been important. I've also always had an affinity for strong female characters in a business, which again, I listen, at this stage of my life and career, I could say anything I want. I don't care. I'm not 26 years old going, please hire me. The executives in our business, not everybody. I've met so many amazing executives and 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 I'm so blessed that so many of them, you know, like me personally and 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 like my talent. But there are executives I've worked for that actually recently, as recently this happened five, six years ago, there was an executive at Disney when we were doing Girl Meets World who said to Michael Jacobs, the creator, myself, and another writer, uh, Matt Nelson, who we were all part of um, 
Boy Meets World. And now we're here doing Girl Meets World. They're picking up the show. And he said to us, the rest of the staff has to be all females, right? And we said, well, we're certainly going to bring in female voices. But what do you mean the rest of the staff? Well, this is Girl Meets World. And you have Topanga. Who's going to write Topanga? And we said, wait a minute. You don't think we write Topanga? Like, you don't think that we like we would write the guy characters and then tag a female writer in and they would sit and do the girls voices though obviously we want females in the room to bring their personal experience but you not thinking that a dude can write a woman is your issue like get over it we're fucking artists that's like saying to a painter uh, you only do the bold colors. You paint the the browns and the blacks and the dark blues and navies. And then a girl comes in and does the pinks and reds and yellows, right? Those people in our business that make decisions that hire people that think that way. So long-winded to get back to your question. So I've always, you know, felt that I was gifted the ability to write strong women I'm writing something right now, a movie uh, that's set up called Arigato Tokyo with a female director that I sought out. She's detached. And it's a story of a 50-year-old female washed up professional wrestler, kind of like Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler, but a female who has, when we meet her, has pill problems and she's popping and drinking and she's forgetting shit and she's a hot mess. And we come to discover it was from post-concussion syndrome, 20 years of taking bumps in the wrestling ring has left her with post-concussion syndrome. So all these other symptoms, depression, anxiety, all these things that she has been taking pills for, the pills are what's making her life unmanageable. And these things are because of the concussion. So that's, you know, kind of her, um, you know, character arc there. And she ends up going back to Japan where she was a big star uh, in 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 the early 2000s, and she falls in love with this young Japanese, very spiritual Zen-like uh, Riki master, and they fall for each other, and they kind of have this amazing platonic relationship, and kind of help each other through their stuff. It's not many dudes writing shit like that, right? Yeah, I love writing great. stuff like that, and so without going into details with 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 Aaron's project, that's kind of how we met. Um, uh, Aaron's story and it was written by this wonderful female writer who's managed by my manager and we all met and they were looking for a showrunner and I loved the project again it was a strong female lead and and not you know we've seen tons there's there's obviously growth but I just I'm like you know if, if my part of my gig is showing executives and audiences that you know, I could write the shit out of women because I've listened my whole life and paid attention and respected and understood that, you know, they're just like dudes, you know, in that we have good, we have bad. We fall, we get up. That's a human thing. That's not a gender thing. I love that you were in tune with even as a young kid asking yourself, wow, mom's tired all the time. Because it's now feeding this new thing in you um, as a 60-year-old man. And I think that's beautiful that you remember that and that you could go back to that and um, 
pick and choose how you want to incorporate that into your characters. Um, and I, I see myself a lot in that with, with my mom um, now being a mom and I can go back and say, wow, mom was just always working and she was so tired. And it's because she was really fucking tired with three kids Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and not having the resources and the things that I now have. So it, I love how our childhood is always kind of propelling us and feeding us to um, a, be a better version of ourselves. So yeah, I, I, I have a line in this movie, Arigato Tokyo, that I just wrote the other day. And, it, you know, there's also the mother daughter story, 19 year old daughter, and they have a fractured relationship. It's basically the daughter is me. And, and uh, the mother says to the daughter at one point, um, you know, I hate that you hate me. And the daughter looks at her and goes, I don't hate you. I'm just trying to understand you. So maybe one day I could like you. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and that's what drew me to Mark was this sort of ability to be vulnerable as a man um, because, and to go back to artificial intelligence, this is how we make, you know, people feel inspired, right? Is like this interconnectedness of someone being vulnerable enough to talk about their mom's depression and, and that it wasn't mom's fault that she had this, but it had impact. And to be able to take these stories of a woman who's a sports broadcaster who, you know, had to sort of sometimes take the B story, how, how did that impact her? Um, I just think that this is why I appreciate a guy like Mark is he's making space. He's not, he's not threatened by women. He's not intimidated by women. He respects and wants to make space for these stories to be told. And you're seeing it play out we need in to the let Mark go soon. But really quickly, Mark, I wanted to uh, ask you about what is the final end game for you? Who is making the impact when, it, when you're going up against these titans in the industry? Is it the head honchos at Netflix, the head honchos at Disney? Like what, who needs to make these big decisions and, and play ball with you guys? So it's that. It's all the head honchos at all these places, all the studios, all the streamers. I always like telling this story. It's not really a story, but it resonates with me deeply. There was a show on Paramount Plus called The Offer. Did anybody see The Offer? Why does that sound familiar? It yes, was basically it was so good. Loved so it. good. It was about the making of The Godfather. Okay. okay. Miles Teller was in it. Uh, Matthew Good was in it and was amazing. He played Robert Evans. For those of you who don't know, Robert Evans was a studio mogul in the, uh, I want to say, 80s, early 90s. And he ran Paramount. He got The Godfather made. He got Chinatown made. Uh, he was in love with Ali McGraw. And um, that was all part of his story. Ali was his true love. If you watch the movie, Matthew Good did an amazing job portraying Bob Evans. Uh, he, he has a documentary that's been out for a long time called The Kid Stays in the Picture and a book. The kid stays in the picture. The doc was directed by Brett Morgan. It's brilliant. Bob Evans loved, and it's evident in the offer. He loved writers. 
He fought for the stories. He loved making movies. And there's scenes in there where he's at a screening and he stands up and he says, this is why I do this. It's about the magic. It's about taking an idea and having people bring it to life and people come and audiences come and it's just the most intoxicating feeling in the world. And if you don't understand it, well, you know, then, you know, you're just pedestrian, but this is why I do this, blah, 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 blah. Reason I'm saying it is because that's who used to run our industry, people like Bob Evans. This guy, Zaslav, and whoever's running Apple, and who, they don't give a shit about the story, about the writer, about the heart and soul. I watched the other day, it was on, I watched the last half hour, a movie called uh, Slums of Beverly Hills. It's from about 30 years ago. Natasha Leone, Alan Arkin, uh, Carl Reiner. Gosh, Natasha Leone is one of the most brilliant actors out there. She's just amazing. I haven't seen Poker Face yet, but anyway, it was just this small indie film and you're watching it and you can't take your eyes off of it. Most of the content today, and again, of course there's exceptions, you know, Succession is one of the best things I've ever seen, ever. One. Yeah, it's not an IP, it's not a franchise, it's this dude, Jesse Armstrong, created the show called Succession, it's amazing. But, so the, the, we'll always have those shows, but there's most of our content, I can get up in the middle, I can go to the kitchen, I can cook dinner, <laughs> I could serve the kids. I could come back. I could sit down and I don't turn to anybody and say, what did I miss? Right. Because I didn't miss shit. So what we want is for these lords of industry, of show business. By the way, we don't even call it show business anymore. When I came into the business as a kid in my early 20s, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm in show business. I'm going to move to LA. I want to be in show business. Somewhere along the line, we started calling it the industry or the entertainment industry. So sterile, so like just lifeless. Show business is why we do it. But until the lords of our industry return to a place where they value us, and value what we have to offer, the stories we want to tell. By the way, if they don't, they're actually insulting their own subscribers and saying, we don't even give a fuck what you guys think. We'll mm -hmm. just keep putting whatever we want out there and you guys will watch because you're already paying $10.99 a month. We have you. Ha! So they need to not just, and I've, I've been vocal on, I know a lot of people on the board and, and we talk and I'm very vocal and I go, it's really not about the incremental financial gain. Mm. All that will come once we're able to, you know, reintroduce the concept of respect and value, because that's what it comes down to. I don't see museums like, yeah, change technology. Everything's changing. I'm all for it. I'm down with it. But I, uh, you know, I was in Paris recently. I was at the Louvre. I didn't see them carrying out paintings and bringing in NFTs and hanging fucking NFTs on the wall. Right. <laughs> That's such a good analogy. 
we're because <laughs> we're nice. artists too. People who write music are artists. People who paint are artists. People who design clothes are we're all artists. They have now started looking at us, the writers, as non, mm-hmm. you know, important artists, as, as as you know, sacrificial. We're not you know needed for the process. We want to bring them back to that place where shit, I got to have lunch with, and they don't have to have lunch with me. I'm 62 and a half. If they don't think I have enough to offer for the next 15 years, that's cool. But have lunch with the next generation, get to know who they are, hear their stories. That's what we're- Mark, I wanted to jump in. You kind of touched on it a little bit. I find writers fascinating. I am engaged to a writer. And you said (laughs) in your twenties, you moved to show business. Um, where where did you grow up? What made you want to be a writer? How did you get into this business? I know we're wrapping up and I could pick your brain for hours, but if you can kind of give us like just a little bit of background on like who you are and why you are who you are and why you love writing. So there's a couple of turns in it, my story. So I grew up in Montreal and growing up in Canada, I was a hockey player because that's it. You're either a hockey player or you're something that you'll never enjoy as much. I played hockey. I loved hockey. Still love hockey. I'm a Vegas Golden Knights fan. Um, and then at about 17 years old, I got hurt. I tore my knee up. And, and back then, knee surgeries weren't as advanced and they were more invasive. And my hockey guy career, I, was, I had scholarships to go to Bowling Green, University of Vermont, all that stuff. And I didn't. And so... Um, I had a buddy in Montreal and we used to, and and I, I, here's the thing with my story. There was like six entry points. Unfortunately for you guys, I chose one way back. So I'm going to babble for a bit. Um, we used to watch Saturday night live in the late seventies back when it's, you know, Jane Curtin and Bill Murray and Gilda Radner and Belushi and Aykroyd and Lorraine Newman. And just the originals Saturday night live was absolutely amazing. And uh, we loved it. We'd get together at his house every Saturday at 1135, watch the show. And one day we said, we could do this. Let's write some shit. And we're 17 years old. And we wrote some sketches. And we said, okay, now what? And there's no internet. So there's no like, you know, reaching out or looking up what's, you know. So we mailed the sketches to Saturday Night Live, 30 Rockefeller Plaza, New York, New York, 10021. And... Uh, about three weeks later, my friend Stephen calls me up after school and says, get your ass over here. And I said, what up? And he goes, just come over because I want to tell you this in person. And so I go over and he's at the kitchen table and I go, what up? He goes, I just got off the phone with Lorne Michaels' office. Lorne Michaels, of course, is the creator and producer of Saturday Night Live, still doing it, done it forever. And... I go, what the, he goes, they want us to come to New York and interview with the head writers, Franken and Davis for a job. What? You're 17? 17. Now they had no idea. That's part of the story. So we get to New York a couple of weeks (laughs) later and the head writers were Al Franken and Tom Davis, Senator Al Franken of the great state of Minnesota. And it was pre-production and they're setting their office up. And we walk in and I remember it so vividly. Franken's on the floor. He's plugging in a lamp. I knock on the open door. He looks up and he just goes, Wapman and Padveen? I go, yeah. He goes, you guys are kids. (laughs) And he was, and 
And we said, yeah, well, 17. And our faces are covered in acne. And we have the big afros back then, late 70s. And he goes, but your resume said Second City on it under comedy. You know, I assumed you wrote on Second City. And I said, well, no, to be honest, I, we've never, I just, I wrote under comedy Second City because I'm a fan of Second City. I'm a fan. And he looked at me and he said, you guys should feel awful that you took advantage of our office like that and, you know, scammed an interview. And I said, you guys should feel bad that it happened. <laughs> and he laughed and we talked. And uh, of course, we didn't get hired. Of course, we were kids. We went back to school. And, you know, months later, a couple of our ideas were slightly changed but they were clearly our ideas on the show and we were not mad we went fuck this is great and then uh, shortly after a comedy club opened in montreal called stitches and uh i auditioned and i you know there had never been a comedy club in montreal before so i was one of the acts chosen and i started performing stand-up in a bar in montreal in front of 50 people and then i got good I created a persona, a character called the Crusher Comic. Wrestling was really big. I was a big wrestling fan. And so I would dress up in tights and Ric Flair robes and a mask so nobody knew who I was. I would come out to Eye of the Tiger and I would beat people up in the audience, give them airplane spins and yell at them. And it became huge. I was on the cover of wrestling magazines. I was headlining comedy clubs all over the States, selling out. And I went, fuck. So in 1982, I moved to LA. I had some friends here that were doing, starting to do well. Uh, my closest friend was on a series on NBC and uh, he said, come down. And I came down and I did that for about seven years. I did Crusher Comic at the Comedy Store. And then I'd go on the road and play clubs to make money to pay my rent. And I was an actor. I went out on auditions. I was in Meatball Street with Patrick Dempsey. Yes. I was, uh, I was, uh, I went back to New York and I did a bunch of uh, episodes of All My Children. Uh, I was on Hill Street Blues, which was a pretty big cop show in the uh, 80s in, in, uh, on CBS. And I was doing okay, but I was just doing okay. And I had the self-awareness I was at, it was actually at the premiere of Meatballs 3. So at first I'm filming Meatballs 3 and young Patrick Dempsey's in it and uh, Sally Kellerman, the late Sally Kellerman and Shannon Tweed, Mrs. Gene Simmons. Uh, I think they had just started dating. So Gene was around and, and uh, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the next Bill Murray. I mean, this is, you know, this is Meatballs 3. I'm going to be great. And I went to the premiere with my brother and I was on the first scene, I had one of the lead roles and every scene I was on, I kept sinking lower and lower into my chair. And finally I turned to my brother and I said, I suck, don't I? And he goes, eh, you're not really good. <laughs> and so I went, I gotta stop doing this. And so I just knew that I would, you know, never, I'd work really hard and probably never be happy and satisfied. And I, what am I going to do? And I, I literally dreamed uh, a movie idea one night. This would have been around 1990, 91. And, you know, I'm always 
quick to point out, you know, for years, I mean, people will call it white privilege when you, it, it's not white privilege, it was just privilege. I got lucky, I got a break, my network, I knew people. So a friend of mine, the friend was doing a movie, he was starring in a movie and we were talking and I, I had woken up. I said, listen, I just dreamed this crazy idea. And I told him the idea and he said, let me call you back. And he called me back a half hour later and he said, Mark, this is uh, so-and-so and so-and-so. They're the producers of this movie I'm doing. And it was a movie called Little Monsters. So that'll give you possible idea of, of, of who my buddy was. He was one of the people in it, um, not the one that was canceled. Um, and so the producers got on and, and my friend said, tell him the idea. I told him the idea and they said, okay, we want to buy it. I go, well, what does that mean? They go, well, we're going to give you X amount of money um, to write it. And then we have a first look deal at Fox. And then when Fox says, yes, we love it, then the money we gave you comes out. So it's like this much against and blah, 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 blah. So that's how I got started as a writer. The movie never got made. But to this day, me and my buddy talked about it yesterday because it's such a great idea. And it's been back in the day, it went from Fox to Disney to Paramount back to Fox. It was such a great idea. They just, well, first of all, I was not nearly as good a writer then as I am now. Um, and so they had a lot of writers they brought on to rewrite it. None of them did a good job. So the movie never got made, but we still want to make it because it's a great idea. But anyway, that led to me getting an agent. And then um, I had a partner at the time uh, for TV and we met on uh, season one of Boy Meets World and we didn't take it. We said, no, we met Michael Jacobs, the creator. And the show then just felt too young for us. It was season one was kind of very young. It was middle school. Then they called us back in the following year and said, we're aging the show up. We're sending them to junior high. We're going to skip two grades and we'd love to have you do it. And we said, great. And that very first year, our first year being hired on Boy Meets World. Oh, we wow. wrote five, five of the episodes in our first year on Boy Meets World, five. And then we wrote five the next year. And by our third year on the show, Michael was off doing other shows and we were running Boy Meets World. Uh, so we just kept going and then uh, we split up. We were very different people. And uh, much, listen, if marriages can't work, why the fuck? should anyone expect the writing partnership to always work? And so we split in like 98, something like that. And I've been writing, producing on my own ever since and having a blast. And sorry for such a long winded answer. I knew when you asked that, that I would start babbling a little bit, but that's kind of my story in a nutshell. And, and I'm busy as heck now, despite my age and you know, all that stuff. And, you're you're yeah. a phenomenal storyteller. I could sit here all day. You're so <laughs> yes. but you're a writer and this is your life journey because you're a phenomenal st storyteller. Um, but I wanted to just say really quick, in all of this, I love how every step of life is always supporting the next journey. And you just explained that so beautifully. And it was really nice to hear your trajectory. And it's very um, grounding for me, as I believe that everything that's happening, life is always happening for us. I'm grateful to have met you. Mark, thank you so much. You are phenomenal. I am so grateful that you were able to join the podcast today. And sure. this is going to be a great episode. I'm grateful for you. Thank okay. you. Well, thank you for having me.
No, but your story is amazing. And I, and I think um, it's interesting. I have another writer friend who did the same thing. He was an actor and felt like, you know what? I don't know that I'm going to have the success I'd want on that and transition to writing. He's been very successful with, with writing. But um, there's a lot of us actors who are like, we just keep trying. We're like, maybe we need more classes. Maybe we need this. Like, we don't want to give up. So I mean, it's you, know, you, you, you know what's in your heart, right? So I can't, I can never... Yeah ever tell anybody hey have you thought about maybe pivoting and you know designing houses like it's not my story to tell I can only tell my story yeah. well Mark you were incredible and the girls as I knew okay. would love you um thank you for just continuing to pave the way for more genuine heartfelt honest authentic authentic storytelling because that's what you do best and uh I know when we started working together that was what resonated was sort of this character and the, the struggle that she went through in her life and I freaking love you so Aww. just keep being you Mark and again thank you for your time um it was really an interesting perspective I didn't know a lot of those things and we'll have to just get you on maybe post writer strike to find out like the updates so. Or yeah, come with a portable mic and stuff. And while I'm picketing, I do. I do remember that. <laughs> I remember the writer's strike last time. How long did that last? Um, I want to say three months. Was it three months? I think so. Which oh. is what we expect this to be, roughly. Wow. But yeah, again, I remember that. Wow. I I don't know. Like I'm hoping the last week has been productive. It's the the board has been very silent. So. I've emailed okay. a couple of friends for some insider stuff and I haven't heard anything, but um, we're not asking for the moon. We're just asking for just a little bit of what they are benefiting off of us. That's it. Yeah. Sustainability no, I think it's, I think of it's career. Great. That's it. Sustainability. And it does affect you guys because if we're not producing content, then you guys aren't, you know, you don't have stuff to do. Amen, amen. True. True. Uh, well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Mark. And uh, sorry, I went in and out. I got a baby. I got all no, stuff. Been there. Been there. Get it. <laughs> all right. Uh, Listen, well, it was a well, pleasure. Thank you, Mark. I, I, yeah. I really appreciate you guys. So thanks. All right. Have a great day. Thank okay. you. Oh my God. He was amazing. I could talk to him for literally hours. He had so much great wisdom. I mean, he's a phenomenal storyteller and just so grateful for um, how he is a champion for women and grateful that he's working with our very own Aaron. And I can't wait to see what they come up with together and what they can birth together. Thank you, Mark. We love you. We can't wait to see how this whole thing plays out and how um, much you shape the future of the Writers Guild with just how impassioned you were with everything. So thank you for joining us. That has been a show of Entertain Her. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm Zulai Hanau. Sarah Sanderson. Bye, you guys. Erin Coscarelli here. And if you have not given us a review, I'm going to remind you every single week, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a nice uh, words of affirmation, something for us to read, and have a good day. See you guys next week. 